Today's episode is brought to you by Anchor Podcasts. They're our new partner here at the Mac Report, and their mission is to democratize audio. Anchor believed everyone should be able to have their voice heard, regardless of background or experience level. And if you've ever tried a podcast before, you know all the logistical barriers that can stand in your way. At Anchor, they aim to remove every single one of those barriers. Their goal is to make podcasting easy and fun without sacrificing the quality that every podcaster deserves. It's so easy with Anchor Podcasts, you can even create a podcast from your phone. To learn more, visit anchor.fm today. Welcome into another edition of the Mac Report Podcast. I'm Mike McMahon. We're going to be joined in a little bit by the head coach of the Merrimack Men's Hockey Team, Scott Bork. We talk a lot about uh, what they've done as the program continues to get ready for a season, and there will be a season. What it was going to look like or what it will look like, we're not entirely sure yet. Uh, the Big Ten has already announced some of their plans. There's some rumors out there about the ECAC. I think Atlanta Hockey is going to announce something this week. Uh, I think we're going to get ready to see a hockey's plan hopefully soon, but it does sound like it's going to be sometime in November. Uh, we talk about how Merrimack has been back on the ice, how the, the preseason has gone, how they're preparing uh, the NHL draft, which was last week. So our Alex Jeffries and Zach Ewens both get drafted. Uh, we talk about a lot. So uh, about a half an hour conversation with Merrimack coach Scott Borick. So stay tuned for that. Before we get to the interview, though, a couple of notes on Hockey East return to play. Uh, like I said, some of the, the leagues around the country have already announced their intentions. The Big Ten is the one that really has run, announced concrete plans. Uh, the NCHC looks like they may bubble some teams out in Omaha or Grand Forks, although uh, I do think that Omaha is the one that will likely end up with that from what I'm hearing. Hockey East is in a little bit of a different scenario from what I understand. Uh, teams will start in November, some teams. The last I heard uh, was that there are some hockey's programs that may not start until January. And that has to do with the fact that some of their uh, leagues for their other sports outside of hockey may not be starting until January. So I don't know specifically which schools uh, talking to, to coach Borg today. I don't get the impression that Merrimack would be one of those. I think Merrimack is looking at starting in November, but you know, that's all up in the air, but it sounds like the league schedule for hockey's. And again, this was something I'd heard last week. The league schedule for Hockey East would probably start in January. League games, counting in the standings. Hockey East schools would be allowed to play in non-conference games against other Hockey East opponents starting in November. So that would essentially create like a preseason before you get into your league season in January, which might not be bad for a bunch of kids that haven't played hockey in you know, close to a calendar year by the time we get going. It's been nine months since a lot of these guys have played in a game, eight or nine months. So that's that's a good, I think, good way to kind of ease those programs back into it if you're willing to play non-conference games. You know, Merrimack could play. UMass Lowell would be an obvious partner. They're so close. Uh, UNH, Providence, because Coach Bork has a, a relationship with Nate Lehman. Obviously, he coached there. So I think that there's going to be arrangements like that made. I think you'll see, assuming those schools are playing, you'll see, uh, hockey schools playing each other in non-conference games, which for this year will be, you know, exhibition games basically from November until January and then a league schedule that starts in January. That's the last I heard. But again, that <laughs> believe me when I tell you things like this have been changing on a day-to-day -day basis. So that could be a plan that was 
you know, starting to be worked on and has already been thrown out in, in, in favor of something else. Uh, things are changing constantly. Things are changing every day. And I think that's why Hockey East is waiting so long to make an announcement. Coach Bork said it today. I think they're waiting until they know what their details are before they go ahead and release anything. Because the last thing you want to do is release something and then have to change it. So I think they're they're taking a slower approach because they want to know what all their details are. They want to announce one plan and then they want to stick to that plan as opposed to having to announce something and then modify it and then maybe modify it again and maybe modify it again. Uh, that tells you just how often these things are 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 being modified right now. Uh, I think these plans are, are working plans that are changing again almost on a on a day-to-day basis. So uh, that is something to keep an eye on as we move forward. But I do think we'll see games happening. There'll be college games happening in November. And I think college, I think hockey East will, will probably follow suit and start right around that same time. Uh, it's just a matter of, of are those league games? Are they non-league games? If they're non-league games, it's basically exhibitions again, which is not a bad thing. Uh, but the, the reason why I'm calling those exhibitions as opposed to just non-league games is the lack of the pairwise. The pairwise uh, basically doesn't mean anything if you have teams playing non-league games. Uh, say, if, sorry, the pairwise basically doesn't mean anything if you have teams only playing league games. Without non-league games, the pairwise has no way to compare teams against one another from different leagues. So that brings up another whole point of, and, and we're getting really far ahead of ourselves here, but is there going to be a national tournament at the end of the year what is it going to look like? How are teams going to be selected? Because if you don't have non-conference games, kick the pairwise out the window. It doesn't mean anything. You can't use it. Uh, so the last thing, and I just want to update people quickly on this, the last I had heard as far as, as the NCAA tournament goes, if we have some, if we have one, because there are some people that believe the college hockey season will stop at the conference championships. There's a lot, of, quite a few people that I've talked to believe that it won't go any further than the conference tournament. There are others who believe that there will be a national tournament. Maybe it'll be scaled down. It won't be, you know, in a traditional form. I don't see the the regionals or Frozen Four happening without a significant uh, breakthrough, probably as far as the vaccine goes, because uh, you can't hold big public events. So I don't see the NCAA renting out these big arenas when they can't put people inside of them. So uh, what's going to happen? I, I think if there is a national tournament, it's probably smaller. And the teams are probably selected using just the committee, old school style, like going back to the 80s. We're just going to use the committee instead of RPI, instead of the pairwise, because those those formulas basically don't mean anything. means it's going to be kind of messy for a year. Uh, I don't like the idea of the committee just picking teams. Honestly, I think that, that kind of stinks. Um, but... It is what it is for the year. I mean, if that's how you have to do it for this year, I get it. I don't really know if there's another way to do it. Uh, I think, you know, obviously I hope to see teams or see conferences still have auto bids. I would even like, give give the conferences two auto bids each. Screw it. Give them two auto bids each. Say your regular season champion and your tournament champion can be in, um, can, can be in the, in the NCAA tournament. And if that team happens to be the same team, then whoever finishes second in the conference tournament also gets an auto bid. Boom. Problem solved. Uh, I'd rather them see do, them do something like that. That at least fills up most of the field by having the teams actually decide it as opposed to a committee. Uh, but if the committee then is, is deciding on 
you know, four or five or three or two or whatever auto bids, depending upon what size of the field is, I don't think that's a problem. So hopefully that's what they do. Uh, I would much prefer that. But again, we'll see. Uh, All this stuff is very fluid. I don't even think people are thinking about the NCAA tournament yet. It's so far away. Uh, We're just hoping to get teams on the ice and and seeing a a, a regular season, a conference regular season. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will have the head coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team, Scott Borick, here on the Mac Report Podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. That way it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one simple place. We use Anchor here for the TMR podcast, and it could not be easier. Download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Sage, what about this stick? Like the orange in it. No, Mom, what is this? This stick is so dusty, there's no more Geno's left in it. I can take it from here, Mom. What kind of tweet are we looking for here, bud? Just a stick so I could toss sauce Chef Boyardee style. Something more apples versus buckets. Yeah, as long as I could still snipe Bar South and Sally. All right, I got the perfect twig for you. It's going to be this stick here, mid-flex point stick, completely accurate for buy down every time. This is awesome. I love it. TSR Hockey. We speak your language. All right, we're here with Merrimack men's hockey coach Scott Bork. And, Coach, I know you've been... Back on the ice, I, I've seen the Twitter videos. I, I'm happy to see guys back on the ice. I'm sure it feels maybe a little bit like it's back to normal, not totally back to normal, but uh, being out there with guys on the ice has got to at least feel semi-normal again, I would think. Yeah, it does. It's really it's great to get. You know, it, I think we appreciate it so much more based upon what we're going through to get to this point. Uh, I think our players are the exact same way. I've been really impressed with the way they've stayed focused and, have allowed themselves to not, or I shouldn't say, have protected themselves from being distracted kind of by the noise of what's happening right now and, and the juggling act that schools, including Merrimack, are doing with, you know, just the, the virus itself and how we're tracing it and the interruptions it's caused on campus. Um, but our, our players have done a really good job of staying here and now and staying on top of it and staying on their development. And uh, so far, it's been a really fun fall from a hockey standpoint. Awesome. Now, what what does the schedule kind of look like? Because I know typically you're allowed uh, a certain amount of hours in September, and then October it opens it up, and you're allowed, obviously, to fully practice because that's when the season usually starts. But what has that schedule – has it been the same as far as the NCAA is concerned, or has it been a little bit different? No, it's been different. I think, and again, I, I think this is as much a Merrimack thing as anything else. We've really eased to it from the number of hours we've been asked to ask of our players. Um, and so we started, you know, really with almost four hours a week. Um, and then we, then we moved in the second phase to eight hours a week. And we're presently in a phase where we're at 12 hours a week. Um, and for the NCAA, we would we would be at 20 hours if we were going by the championship season, what we would normally be getting. Uh, Merrimack has instituted this to kind of re-socialize and re-acclimatize the team and the student athletes to the campus as well as to their, you know, athletic endeavors. Uh, I have actually I was unhappy with it to start and and disappointed we had so little time with the team. 
Um, but in the end, I, I have come around to the fact that it, it was probably necessary for our campus so that we didn't get distracted in too many different ways. Uh, but it also has worked out really well for our team because we've gradually got into a year where, as you know, usually the college hockey st season starts at Labor Day and we get after it, we play October 3rd. Uh, but this has given us a chance to really work on individual skill, kind of some of the fine skills you don't get to do in practice as much, giving guys a lot of reps cause, because we've been in small groups. So in the end, uh, what seemed like at the beginning to be a insurmountable uh, roadblock, I think, has turned into an opportunity that right now is going really well for us. Yeah, it seems like that's been the, the story across hockey, too, because – Obviously, the USHL is starting later. Uh, all the Canadian Junior Leagues are starting later. I think the North American Hockey League started last week, and they were the first ones. But uh, for most of those those junior programs, they're kind of doing the same thing, where like up until November, December, it's, they're calling it like the developmental season, and they, they've got their guys there, but they're not playing games or just practicing. So uh, I would imagine this kind of gives you an opportunity to focus on some things with, with your players that you may not normally have the time to focus on if you were getting ready to immediately jump into a season at the beginning of October. Exactly. And I think, I think from the player's perspective, it's been enjoyable because they rarely get this kind of, you know, team activity where, yeah, there's always something on the line, right? You're always trying to earn, you know, your position in the locker room, your position in the lineup. There's always something on the line. Uh, but, What's really cool is that it's not like your ice time's on the line right now. So they can approach it in a much different way than they would be if ice time was on the line right now. And that's, that's been an interesting – that's been a change, and, and I think it's been good. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff on hockey TV that we've watched, inter-squad scrimmages of junior teams, practices of junior teams. Um, and I think they've gotten the same opportunities. And we have players who obviously are committed to us who are playing junior in those junior leagues. And they've really enjoyed that process as well. So, you know, right now I think the hockey community is doing the best that it can to give the players and the student-athletes and at whatever level they're at just kind of a meaningful experience. And I hopefully we can continue this. Uh, as far as getting ready for games, when I mean, Hockey East hasn't come out with what their plan is yet, some of the leagues have. Uh, I would imagine Hockey East could probably look pretty similar to some of the – I mean, they're all looking pretty similar right now in terms of start dates and, and whatnot. Uh is it going to be a big jump, you think, going from what you guys are doing now to, to jumping into games? Or do you think over the course of maybe the month before, there'll be a little bit of a ramp-up process to, okay, now we're, we're game ready? I think there's going to have to be a ramp-up process because uh, we aren't game ready. And I would say that we probably wouldn't be able to be game ready in a week just because it's been such a slow climb. Um, and, and that, for that reason, I wouldn't want to, to think that we were going to be able to make, you know, fast track this, but I, I think we are in a place where when the hockey starts, I, I think it's going to be really good. I think every team's had the same opportunity to do what we've done, um, and, you know, develop their players, uh, condition their players at a level that they probably aren't used to in the fall. Um, and I think, you know, I think you're going to see some really good hockey this year, much like the playoffs, you know, I, Every round you saw in the NHL playoffs was better and better, right, in, in, a, in a very weird, weird circumstance. But I think that uh, that's what you'll see from college hockey as well. I think it will start probably a little messy because no one will have played games. But uh, once it gets going, I think you'll see some of the best hockey we've had. Yeah, well, it's, it's going to be interesting, too, because you don't have more than likely no non-conference games. I mean, that's what most of the other leagues are doing, and it's going to be kind of a condensed schedule. 
uh, maybe not a shorter league schedule, but but probably a little bit more condensed in terms of the, the amount of time. So I think you are going to kind of have that atmosphere where it, it is going to feel like playoff hockey for most of that year, especially once you kind of get going after the first maybe eight or nine games because you're going you're gonna to find yourself kind of at the halfway point and then into the home stretch pretty quickly. Yeah, I think I think you will. I mean, I think that's the the crazy thing is it's you're going to be moving to that point really fast, and are you going to be able to uh, have your team ready? And is your te- you know just is your team going to be able to you know stay with it? Because I think you're, you're going to go you're going to go from no games to a lot of games pretty quickly, um, and that will be a challenge for for us. I think that the players will need to. You'll be ready, and the coaching staff, our staff, will have to be prepared for that as well. That you know, we're gonna this this season's gonna sprint. It's not gonna be a marathon, and that's different than most hockey seasons. Uh, on the recruiting front, I know I, I think they extended the NCAA extended the dead period till January, right? Was it the beginning of January? Uh, they, end, they ended extended it to the beginning of January. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that got continued to be extended. To be honest. Um, I think that there's, you know, a real, um, you know, it's, it's a real, it's a real challenge is to think that you're going to be able to get guys on the road, on planes, uh, that, that there won't be an, an obvious advantage to certain programs that are in certain places. You know, we would be one of those teams that may be at a disadvantage once that gets lifted. I'm not sure, you know, but I think that that's, you know, it's realistic to think it could get extended even further. Um, I think it's been nice this fall, and I know that my assistant coaches wouldn't agree, but I've really <laughs> enjoyed having the coaching staff together like we have. I think it's been good for our student-athletes. Um, and, it, you know, some of the things that have happened this, this fall will be things that we take over and, and start using uh, even when this is behind us because I think it's been really beneficial. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to get to. Is like Usually September, you've got showcases and stuff. Like Those guys, Dan and Josh, I would imagine, are gone for – most of the month, uh, usually, you know, that month of September, they're almost probably never there, especially on the weekends. Yeah, never, never. And, and I'm usually running around myself, you know, and getting back from practice. And, you know, I think that it's, it's really, um, you know, it's been healthy for, for our staff. It's been healthy for our team for to have our, our whole group here all the time. And I'm sure other teams feel the same way. And one of our big conversations when this thing got pushed was, you know, you, for these two guys, the two young assistants, you've never been around for this amount of time with the team. Now you need to make sure it's really, really useful. You know, we really got to, you know, do a great job of making it useful, making it important. Um, and I, I think we've done that so far. Uh, how do you kind of deal with recruiting, though? Because obviously the dead period is it restricts certain things, but recruiting kind of hasn't stopped. Uh, you see kids still committing to schools and things like that. So how does what are the kind of the different challenges in recruiting under this type of environment? I mean, I know you probably got guys, obviously you've got guys committing without having set foot on campus. So uh, do you, how do you kind of show them the campus? And I mean, the world's kind of become accustomed to Zoom. Is, is Zoom recruiting become a thing as well? Zoom recruiting, unfortunately, is a thing. And, <laughs> uh, and it, it's it's a it's been interesting uh, managing our way through that, you know, not something that, that, uh, you know, I would have gone into the year thinking that's what we would be doing. Uh, but at the same time, it's been really positive. You know, uh, the, the opportunity that we've had, um, you know, to, to kind of, 
you know, get to know kids, you know, and, and, it, and it, you're introducing them in a totally different way than, than it's normal, right? And so because of that, I think it's put, put us in a, you know, an important space of getting to know people and, their, and their, whoever is important to them in their development life um, a lot more. So you're recruiting in a completely different way, but I, at the same time, I think a very, very productive way. Uh, let's talk about some of the guys that are returning and some of the guys that are, that are new to the program. Uh, I know before we started recording, we were talking about a couple of guys that were drafted last week, uh, and Zach Ewens and Alex Jeffries. Uh, I think it's the well, we were we were talking before we hit record, but it was first time in twenty something years or right around twenty years that two guys have been drafted uh, that high in the same draft. Um, what is I guess what was last week like for them? And and uh, they were obviously on campus when they found out, right? Yeah, they're actually together, which is pretty cool. Because um, they weren't far you know, apart. It was only a few picks. Yeah, it was only a few picks. And, you know, it. Um, I thought, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I, I think that, you know, I think it's the first time it ever has happened at Merrimack. You know, uh, I, I looked at that. Someone called me on that after they were drafted. And I said, I think I felt like it had happened more than once. Uh, it hadn't, which is great for these two kids and great for the program. Um, but... The um, bottom line is it's just recognition of the work they did on their, like, your Zach Ewins, as you and I talked about a lot last year, um, is just an elite defender, an elite skater. The fact that it took him this long to get recognized, he went through the draft last year without being drafted, um, just just shocks me. And I think that's uh, a lack of respect maybe for the, where he was playing at the time. Um, but you know, when he got here, as you know, he, he played like a man from the get go and, um, really an impressive first year for him. Uh, it drew a lot of attention, you know, basically you never know that someone's going to get drafted because guys slip all the time and you have no idea why, you know, I personally felt like Declan Carlisle should have been a draft choice, uh, this year. Uh, in the end, I think it will work out to his advantage because he'll have many teams that will be, you know, trying to get his services in a couple of years because he's developing like that. Um, and then for Alex, you know, I think Alex went from being, um, you know, really, you know, a buzzword in the fall last year. And then the prep season started and the, and the scouts kind of moved on to different areas and different leagues. And, you know, and then the, when the national tournament, which I thought was going to be his return to the top of the, you know, the heat because he was ready to play and uh, they had a very good team and he had a lot of success with that group already you know, that gets taken away from them. So uh, the fact that he was drafted in the fourth round, I think it's a great thing. The fact that he was drafted by the Islanders yeah. who do their homework extremely well. You know, I don't know if people really recognize that, but that's a team that does their homework extremely well. And they know exactly what they're getting in Alex and they'll have a plan for him. And it's not just a pick. It's, it's a, it's a commodity that they're going to, you know, uh, want to watch and nurture in a certain way. And we're excited to be part of that. Yeah, I think I heard, uh, I don't remember if it was recently when he was with the Islanders or when he was with Toronto, but Lule Morello at one point, I, I read an interview or had heard an interview where he had said something to the effect of, you know, when we're drafting players, we're not drafting players, we're making investments. And that's how they look at their at their draft choices. So yeah, it's I, I, that was one of the first things I noticed. I said if... if a team led by Lou Lamorello is is <laughs> investing a draft choice into you. you. They did their homework and they see something. Exactly. Yeah, I, I was, and and that I think also on the other side of that too is that you will end up in a situation where 
um, you'll probably, you know, they're going to really monitor your development. They won't take him early, uh, I don't think. I mean, we'll see, but they'll take him when he's ready. And um, it's nice to deal with an organization like that that you can have that kind of confidence. Uh, how have those guys kind of looked? I mean, obviously, Zach, you said we talked about him plenty last year, uh, but how, how has Alex looked? And obviously not in a game situation yet, but kind of getting him on the ice. First time you've been with him on the ice as a coach, what, what have been your first impressions of what he's looked like? And the very first thing with Alex is diligent. Like, he is thorough. He, he loves the process of preparing, um, which is really exciting, you know, to any coach. But, you know, he loves the process of preparing. Actually, in, in, he and you, we have that same kind of – they share that. Uh, they – practice is important to them. It's a focus for them. They come in with, an, uh, you know, an A effort, you know, almost daily um, – it's been, you know, and then that's, that's not only true on the ice, but that's true in the weight room. Uh, and just the way they go about their day, you know, I think they're, um, they're very focused on being the best player they can become. And they take that to their nutrition, to their preparation, to their training. Um, it's, it's an impressive combination and they share it and, uh, and they were rewarded for it. And I think good things are ahead for both of them. Uh, another freshman, I mean, we've talked about these guys kind of already, obviously, over the summer, but interested in what you've seen from them since they've been on the ice with you guys uh, is goaltender Zach Borgiel. Uh, what what have kind of been your impressions of him as he's worked himself into that into that uh, rotation with uh, Troy Coburn, Yuri Hudemar, and, and James Corcoran still as well? Um, you know what? He, he's very um, – what's the word I'm looking for? He doesn't kill like, – he's just got a lot of poise. He's in a lot of poise. He doesn't um, – he really doesn't, you know, get too out of his net, doesn't get too out of his head. You know, I just like the way he approaches the position, you know, and, and you're talking about some guys he's competing with who their number one thing is competition, you know. So it's going to have to draw him out some. I think it will. I'm excited about that because I think they're going to make each other better. But he's got a lot of ability. He's got a great um, – deportment for a goalie you know he doesn't get overly rattled by much um and i'm excited to see where his, where his game can go uh for sure he, he's got to beat some guys out who work as hard as any guys i've been around before so that will be a process for him but uh, i'm really happy where he is today uh, another guy we talked a little bit about last year but uh, and i know i think i believe he practiced with you guys but philip forsmark is he looking forward to finally being able to play in a game i would imagine after the year he had to go through last year he's he's chomping and getting ready to go Holy cow! Like, is there? Like, I I couldn't be. If there's one guy in our team I'm excited about his first game, <laughs> it's Philip Forsmark. You know, he's been through a lot, um, and he's come back. He's worked his way through things as well as anyone could be expected to. Especially someone who's coming from a place like, you know, um, he's coming over here from Sweden. Not, you know, yeah, he played in Tri City Junior Hockey, but not completely accustomed to. You know the culture, uh, you know, college culture, uh, and then they have to come. And the one thing that he draws confidence from, which is playing ice hockey, is not available to him. Um, and yet he comes back in this fall. He's in the best shape of his life. He looks great. Uh, he got a smile on his face every time he's on the ice, and he's our best recruit. He's going to make us a lot better uh, right away. And he's he's a heck of a player. One of the guys that well, I don't think we've had a chance to talk about because. 
Uh, we've uh, the, since the last time we've done a podcast was when he had been brought into the program. But you bring in Mick Mesner, a transfer from Wisconsin. Uh, what's kind? Of, well, first of all, what's his status? I know sometimes guys ap- uh, apply for waivers and they can play right away. Sometimes guys obviously have to sit when they transfer. But what's kind of his status, and uh, what was it about his game that that made him an attractive piece when he was in the transfer portal? Well, a uh, couple of things. First is he is um, presently we're, we're trying to get a waiver for him to play this year. Uh, with all the um, new legislation that's come out and potentially going to come out about transfers, I would hope that they would have the wherewithal to look at this situation and allow him to play immediately. Um, you know, we're, we're, he's in for the long haul. If they don't let him play, he'll, he'll just sit this year in Pratt's with us and play for two more years after it. Uh, but he could really help us. Like, mix a winner. Um, you know, the, the things, you know, what he did in Madison when he played in the USHL, uh, when he made the Holinka team, he was one of their top players in the Holinka team. And his, his uh, success is, is really, he's got good skill, but he's got a huge heart and he's huge effort. He's huge second, third effort guy. Um, he just makes, he's making us better in practice right now. Uh, I'd be really excited to have him in the lineup this year because I think, um, he would be a piece that we could use in any in any role on our team. Like he plays really hard, really heavy, um, and he's a very good locker room guy. I've been very impressed with Mick. You know, I always recognize when a player comes from a place like Wisconsin, where um, you know they're basically given everything um, to a to a place like this, where obviously that's just not going to be the case. That's not who we are as an institution, um, and. That, uh, to see him, you know, work through that and to not be distracted by that, that to me tells you you got the right guy. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because you kind of alluded to it, but he was a captain in Madison his last year there, 45 points in 60 games uh, in the USHL, which is not, I mean, that's not anything to to ignore. Uh, Almost a point-per-game player in in the top junior league out there. Uh, And then goes to Wisconsin, had 12 points his freshman year. I mean, it just kind of seems like he was a guy, obviously they're bringing in, you know, these top NHL draft picks and stuff like that. It kind of feels like there's some teams that just, they cast a wide net, they collect as many players as they can, and then some guys kind of get lost in the shuffle. Uh, and, and it feels like that may have been the case with him because you, you do you look at his history and it's like well not only does he have the the he's got a history of being a scorer pretty much everywhere he's been. Well, and and I think it's you're you're 100 percent right when you talk about just the different makeups of programs like you know their their focus has been much you know like kind of a BU uh, program where they have a lot of not no one and dones but maybe two and dones a lot of guys who are coming in. Um, you know, that have high expectations that need to play right away, that need to be put in situations because that's why they came there. And they are part of a, um, you know, an NHL organization that's looking over you. You know, Mick was an outlier there, really. I mean, he just, he was a good player and a really good kid. And, but he didn't have that, you know, that kind of swag, if you will. And I think this opportunity he's getting uh, here, you're going to really see him come out and bloom. Like I, I think in a big way, I think you'll see his, the, the player he can be is going to happen here. Um, and, and it's going to happen just because of opportunity. You know, we are trying to build a program around real good players who play real hard all the time. And, you know, Mick is an unbelievable commercial for that. That's what he does. That's who he is. I think he'll be very comfortable here. Uh, one last thing I wanted to talk about was just the upcoming season and what it might look like. Obviously, like we said at the beginning, there's still 
there's still a lot of mystery on what that might actually entail and what the, the details will be. But if you had to kind of take a guess, what what do you think your season looks like as far as the schedule goes? And, and, and do you have any idea, any indication of when you might get going? I guess what, what are you kind of preparing for? Well, I think that, you know, we're going to play. That That's for sure. Um, we're going to play. And it just, you know, I think that the when date is a little up in the air. Uh, sounds like it's going to be sometime in November. Uh, obviously, the presidents and the athletic directors have to make those final decisions. Um, but I, I feel like we're in a pretty good spot uh, to definitely be starting in November. Uh, our particular, uh, our league, I think you've seen other leagues have come out with announcements. I think on, on, in Merrimack's case and, and in the Hockey East case, it's just they don't want to make a change. You know, I think that's one of the things that's happened so much during the last six months is people have announced things and they had to go back on them, yeah. even Big Ten football, right? Yep. Announced something, they had to go back. Announced this, had to go back. And, I, and I, uh, you know, I'm confident that that's not what UNH wants to do. I mean, not UNH, but that's not what Hockey East wants to do. Uh, and that's not what Merrimack is, wants to be part of. So I think when you see the – uh, Merrimack and the, the hockey East plan, you'll, you'll be pretty confident that's exactly how it's going to come off. Um, and right now they're just trying to make sure we're doing all the safety protocols that we possibly can. The NCAA just came out with a kind of new guidelines that have changed in the last two weeks. That's one of the things that keeps, you know, the delay on the announcement because uh, they're trying to make sure they have all the ducks in a row before that happens. But I will say I'm really excited and confident that we'll we'll play at some point in November, and that will be a great thing for not only for college hockey but college sports in general. For sure, absolutely. Uh, well, actually, one more thing I did want to ask you about because it got brought up the other day. I was writing a, a part of a season preview thing for College Hockey News, and I was going back over some notes I had uh, in an interview with Brian Murphy, who's the new head of officiating for Hockey East, and we had talked to him over the summer. He had said he wanted to kind of communicate to the teams uh, before the start of the season, whenever that is, and, and go over some things and some things that he would like to see changed. But it really seems like he's bringing a new, fresh approach to that part of the league. Have you guys had any uh, interactions or conversations with him yet? And if so, what have kind of been your impressions of what that, that officiating component is going to look like? Because it does seem like he's bringing in a different, just a fresh approach to it. Yeah, no question. I, I think that, you know, one of the interesting things is you get someone who's as knowledgeable as he is who just came off the rink, you know, he just came off the rink essentially, right? And so his ability to um, not only be aware of, of where uh, the game is today from his perspective, but like, literally right from today and why certain things might be good to the coaches and why they're not. Like He's been a really good resource for the coaches about like the rules and what the positives are. There's always a lot of talk about mirroring the NHL rules, but we play a different game, right? And so we play, we play 20, 20 to 28 league games, depending on what league you're in, uh, versus playing 82. So that rule looks different in, in that setting. And he's been really helpful. I think he's going to professionalize that. Not that it wasn't already professional, because I, I, I certainly liked working and getting to know the, the you know, hockey uh, director, director of officials we've had the last few years, and Dan and uh, Shaki and Brendan, and, and um, I think we've had some really good people leading us. Uh, but this is a whole fresh new element of someone who just got off the rank, and I think that's going to play a huge role in, in helping our officiating continue to grow and improve. Yeah, it's one of the things that I know uh, a couple of officials have said to me that, you know, it feels like they're being – 
it feels like it's being brought forth with with an NHL level of professionalism, both in terms of of how they go over things. But I know with with us on the media call he did, he also talked a lot about develop like recruiting new officials, developing officials. Like it shouldn't just be you throw them out in the rink and they ref the game and then they go home. Like there's a component where he should be going over clips with officials and here's why this calls right here's why this one's wrong send things out to the teams kind of be in constant communication about that stuff uh it just it seemed like it was a a different approach and and one that like you said probably has uh, more of an nhl feel to it because that's where he came from just last year that's what he knows yeah and i and i think um no doubt that he's gonna he's gonna bring a huge impact to those how can they like you know, how can you not listen to him as an official? I mean, he's just made a career out of it. And what I like best, and this is not just because he came off the rank, but his energy level is really, really high. And uh, he wants to make hockey East the best officiated league uh, in the country. That's a goal of his. He's, he's aggressively pursuing it. I know that's a goal of the league all the time, but rarely do you put someone in place with Brian's qualifications uh, and his energy that doesn't make an impact. So I'm excited to see it. I think it'll be a really interesting year in that regard. Awesome. Well, I will let you run. I wanted to thank you, though, for taking a couple minutes, of course. And, and we'll do this again right before, hopefully within the next few weeks before the season starts and kind of do more of a, a general season preview. But uh, I'm glad you guys are back on the ice, and, and I'm sure the, the players are <laughs> thrilled to, to have some sense of normal return, even if it is – not not completely normal, but just being out there, I'm sure, brings back some normalcy. So that's good. Yeah, no, no question. And you know what? Uh, as much as any time in their careers as the players, they need hockey right now. You know, they need that um, opportunity. And, and just like people in every sport, you know, I, I just think that college athletics play such a huge role in, in how these kids got here and why they're here that um, when when they lose it, it's really tough. I mean, I couldn't feel any worse for our fall athletes um, with their you know seasons being moved and hopefully moved to the spring, but being untraditional and being harder to accomplish. Um, I can't even imagine it. You know, so I'm very hopeful for our particular athletes that we can do this, and I'm confident in our leadership we're going to get there. All right, well, we'll do this again right before the season starts. But thanks again to Merrimack head coach Scott Boric, and we'll be back in just a minute. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike McMahon CHN, and you can follow the site at The Mac Reports. If you're a Facebook user, you can also find us on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, bye.